This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and for the past few weeks we've uh, been on this series called Journey to Bethlehem. I don't know if I've told you the name of it or not, um, but if I haven't, now you know. Um, I'm so excited about uh, this. Uh, I'll be honest, I've never even uh, stood up here and preached these verses before. Um, and when you've been preaching for a couple years, that's a good thing, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> the Bible's a big place, but you can't use the genealogies because people go to sleep. So, um, so I feel like that's pretty good. But I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited about this message from God this morning. Um, I'm so excited about what it might mean for us. Um, I, I think I tweeted last night that this morning has so much potential. This morning has limitless uh, potential actually because I, I, I serve a God who says that he's able to do above and beyond anything we could ever think or imagine so whatever you walked in this building this morning expecting my prayer for you is that God just blows that away and puts that to shame if you come in thinking big things I hope it's bigger things if you come in expecting very little I pray he blo blows your socks off uh, the feet literally this morning because that would be cool um um, but this morning, uh, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 1. And uh, a few weeks ago, when we kicked off this series, we started in the Gospel of John with, with these words. In the beginning was the Word. Now, I'll be honest, some of you guys weren't here for that, and you missed it, and you need to go find the podcast, because, man, that's been on my heart for, for weeks and weeks and weeks now. I cannot get over that. In the beginning was the Word. Now, we know that if you've read that chapter before, that word is Jesus, but that word actually literally means the voice of God or the Hebrew word logos, the story of God. That in the beginning or before the beginning was the story. And Jesus himself, if you read Colossians or you read um, John, breathed the story of God straight off the page. That there was nothing, there was absolutely nothing, there was uh, no taste, there was no touch there was no smell there was no texture there was no color there was nothing i can't even describe to you what nothingness looks like because i would have to use words that were created to describe the nothing and out of that nothing with nothing jesus spoke everything that's amazing you can't do that i don't care if you're impressed you need to be impressed because you can't do that go just chocolate milkshake you can't make one of those things appear right now and jesus could he spoke everything that, that, that never existed into existence. He said, let there be light. That was the voice of Jesus. Don't believe me? Check Colossians later, I guess, when you go home. But Jesus breathed into existence this very story of God. And for the next few days, he created everything in perfect order and perfect place. And then he put right smack dab in the middle of the story of God, man. He created a man. And then he created a woman. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see that um, because man chose creation over the creator, they were separated from the story of God forever. It's crazy when you think about it. Go try that fruit. I know God told you not to, and you would die if you do, but you won't die, so just go do that. He just created everything. You don't have to listen to that guy. Um, and they did. And at that moment, man was ripped out of, removed from, separated from the story of God. Physically, Adam was alive. He had a heartbeat. And he had breath in his lungs. But spiritually, he was dead. And there was no way that he could re-enter the story of God. And for 4,000 years, conceptualize that. That's a lot. 4,000 years. That's more years than you will ever see on this planet 
for, I think, three thefts of 14 generations, something like that. Man was pulled out of the story of God, and there was no way to re-enter. Man couldn't be good enough to get back in the story of God. He couldn't be religious enough to get back into the story of God. He couldn't say enough prayers to get back into the story of God. Good men, bad men, all removed. And God hated it. Actually, that's why you can find verses in the Bible that say there was this lamb that we were singing about that was slain before the foundations of the world. Before we ever screwed up, God had a plan. And God hated it, and he was just waiting on the day where something would change. And that something was that Jesus would enter into the story of God, that the storyteller would get into the story and invite us back in. And that's what we've been talking about the past few weeks. And This morning we're going to do that in Luke chapter 1. There's a lot of stuff that happens in Luke 1, and we're not going to go over all that, but we're going to kind of enter the story about verse 26, if you have your Bible with you. And it says, in the sixth month. Now, the sixth month here is not like the sixth month of the year. Some of you guys are already doing math, and you're like, six plus nine is not 12. Uh, so I don't know how Jesus came in December. And there's all kinds of problems with that statement. Just want <laughs> to go ahead and throw that out there. Uh, but this is not the sixth month of the calendar year here. This is the sixth month of Elizabeth, another lady that's kind of the first few verses of this story. It's the first month or the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth is the cousin of Mary and it's the mother of John the Baptist. If you've ever kind of read that whole story and we're not going to really jump into that this morning, but just some context there. It says in the sixth month of her pregnancy, Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Now, the angel Gabriel, some people would stop this morning and give you some big old long talk on the angel Gabriel. I'm not going to do that because I don't really care what the angel's name was. It's not actually important to the story, so don't get hung up on the details. But this is a different kind of angel. We don't get angel names most of the time in the Bible. We get Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, and we get Gabriel in Daniel, and that's the only two times he's mentioned in the whole Bible, but that's a a pretty big fan of yours there. Um, But this angel Gabriel was sent by God or sent as a messenger of God to a town in Galilee. Galilee's in northern Israel, and uh, that town was called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was not a big city. This is not like Jerusalem, the capital city. It's not some awesome big old place like maybe Jericho. This is a a little town, a, a speck on the map in Israel. This is a one-horse town, if you will. Like it's one of those new markets where you got like a stop sign, <laughs> maybe a red light, and a speed trap, and that's it. That's all you're known for. Um, this is um, Nazareth. Nothing important has ever come out of Nazareth. There are no nobles that live in Nazareth. There are probably no rich people that live in Nazareth. There's probably about 400 people that live in that whole area. And this is the town that God sends this angel to, it even seems like a mistake, right? If you're going to send an angel, send him somewhere important where there's important people, not to Nazareth. There's nothing in Nazareth. But God sends this angel to this little bitty speck of a town called Nazareth, and he sends him to a virgin. I'm not going to jump into the details of what that is, um, but hopefully we know. Um, Sends him to a virgin, and this virgin is 
not just any virgin, but it's, uh, it's a lady that's engaged to a man named Joseph. She's engaged to Joseph. Now, in biblical context, engagement something different than we think of. When we think of engagement, it's like, oh, here's this ring, and then if it works out in six months or a year, we'll get married, and it'll be awesome, and then if it works out, we'll we'll keep being married and if not we'll be done with it like that's engagement to us engagement here is like an arranged marriage basically the father of the groom would go to the father of the bride and offer up some price they would negotiate kind of some terms of an agreement and then they would pay said price like i think last week i said two goats and a pepperoni pizza or whatever um but they would figure out some price and they would basically the father of the bride would sell the bride to the father of the groom and at this moment it was a legally binding contract even though they weren't married, even though they didn't live together, and they probably didn't even see each other at this point in time, they were for all, uh, all legal purposes married at this point in time. And this virgin was engaged to a man named Joseph. We don't even get a last name, so Joseph probably wasn't that important. It's not Joseph Christ, if you're still confused about Jesus' <laughs> last name, but um, it's a man named Joseph. But he does have one important characteristic, and that's he's a, a man of the house of David. King David, like the guy from the Bible, right? So way back in the day, the, the, the greatest king that's ever reigned in Israel, like he's the man, everybody wants to be him, everybody wants to be like him, and there's a Messiah that's supposed to come, and this Messiah is supposed to come and set up this new kingdom of David, uh, a time marked by prosperity, and a time marked by, uh, by, by this military power. At this point in time in the Bible, though, there there, there were no people that could claim that throne of David. Even though Joseph maybe had some blood of the line of David in him, nobody was walking around, oh, that's David's, that's David's kid over there. He's, he's from the line of David. Nobody's talking about that because everybody's forgotten about that because this empire has moved in called Rome. And the king is not from David's line or anybody else's line at this point in time. It's the emperor. And Joseph is proof of that because he's living in this place called Nazareth a place where nobody important lives and it says that she was engaged to that man it goes on it says the virgin's name was Mary also an ordinary girl probably nothing spectacular about Mary she was probably a good woman she probably tried to follow the law um, just because Joseph was righteous she probably was as well but nothing important, nothing special here. And this angel comes to a town that's not special, to a girl that's not really all that special, that's engaged to a guy that's really not all that special. You look at that and you're like, it doesn't even make sense, right? Why would God send an angel to somebody like that? If God was going to send an angel, why wouldn't they come to like a, some religious leader? Like, that seems like a proper place for an angel. Like, send it to the high priest. That's like Billy Graham. Like, he, that guy probably, that would make sense. Or send it to maybe, maybe a politician that can do something. Like, send it to somebody that has some power, some influence, some something. But here God sends this angel to a, a no-name town to two no-name people. And this angel comes to Mary. And he comes to her and he says... Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. This is how he starts this conversation. To me, it's actually a pretty awesome start to a conversation. He comes in, he's like, rejoice, or show joy, show or experience joy. Rejoice, and then he says, favored woman, 
the Lord is with you. And that sounds amazing, but I don't think we get the full impact of this scene because we think of angels as those little bald baby things with the diapers and the tiny wings that are flying around. Or maybe like the little kid from the uh, Christmas pageant that's like just some little blonde girl and she's super cute and she's got the little white robe on. That's what we think of when we think of angels, but angels are not that at all. Angels are like big, scary creatures. If you don't believe me, Second Kings 19, go read it. This one angel didn't have a name. He wasn't that important, but Gabriel does. This one angel kind of steps into the story in 2 Kings 19, and he kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers by himself. Not just 185,000 Assyrian whatevers, but soldiers. These are men trained for war, and this one angel steps in and by himself kills 185,000 of these guys. Angels are pretty boss people. Like, I don't know what they look like, and I don't know what's going on, but I know I don't want to see one, and because uh, I'd be freaked out. And here one enters the story, and he stands before Mary, and I think the reason he starts out with rejoice is because she's about to have a heart attack. <laughs> because this is not a normal thing, right? If you only know Luke 1 and 2 in the Bible, like that's your only experience with the Bible, maybe like angels pop up everywhere to you. But in the 4,000-year period of angels popping up on the planet to this point in time, there's not been a whole lot of people who have experienced this. And if they have, they've, they've been somebody, right? But in this moment, God sends an angel to Nazareth, never would have thought of that, to a girl that didn't think she was even a blip on the radar, a girl who probably very few times has been very far outside of her house, let alone outside of Nazareth. And here... God sends an angel to stand before her, and she's thinking, okay, big scary dude, something's wrong here. So he starts out this conversation, rejoice, or feel or experience, show great joy. Quit freaking out. That's what he starts off with, basically. Favored woman, for the Lord is with you. Now, we've read the Bible a lot, apparently, because that's not a weird conversation for us. But imagine you're sitting in your living room today, and you're flipping through the channels, and up pops an angel in front of you. And he looks at you, and he's like, rejoice, favored Nick. God is with you. You would be thinking, you got the wrong Nick right you wouldn't be sitting around thinking oh man I'm awesome this is great this is the best thing that's ever happened like an angel is here you would be like I think you got your address wrong like I'm just Mary and you're in Nazareth go read the town like there's there's 400 people here and even if you meant to come here it was probably for some other Mary because there's 399 other people because it's not me He says, rejoice, favored woman, or woman that God has found, or God has given grace to, for God is with you. And it says in 29, but she was deeply troubled by this statement. Deeply troubled is, is a word that can also mean confused. It's a synonyms or confused or can't understand, but she's perplexed. We read it as fear, but I think Mary's just so confused by what's going on in this moment. It says, but 
She was deeply troubled or confused by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. She was confused because, man, there's no way in the world this is really happening, right? Probably pinching herself, like, I don't think this is real right now. I need to wake up. This is just strange. You ever been in one of those dreams where you just can't wake up and it's so weird and you know you're dreaming? This is probably that moment for her. And she's confused because she just can't figure out why an angel would be there with her. And the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary. Stop freaking out. It's okay. I'm not here to kill you. You don't have to be afraid. For you have found favor with God. I love this because it doesn't say don't be afraid because God has seen you do all those good things, right? Don't be afraid because God's been watching you keep the whole law forever. Don't be afraid because you're a good person or a righteous person. He says, don't be afraid because you've found favor with God. God has given grace to you. You've not earned it, but, but he sees you and he finds grace to give to you. And the angel says, now listen. And he starts giving this message to her. He says, you will conceive or you will get pregnant and give birth to a son now that sounds awesome if you're about to get married because in the day you want sons not daughters that's just how it was he says conceive you're going to give birth to a son and she's probably thinking well that's great thank you that's great news i don't know why you came here to tell me that but that's like the best pregnancy test ever like we know for certain um it's good and then he says, and you will call his name Jesus. Or you don't get to pick the name. We already picked the name. We give you the baby. You don't get to pick the name. And his name's going to be Jesus. Now, this is the Greek form of the Hebrew name uh, Joshua, which means Yahweh saves or God saves. This angel says, hey, your baby's going to be called God saves. Still nothing really weird. I mean, it's kind of weird. There's an angel, but nothing strange yet. In 32, it says, he will be great you're like well that's amazing news we're from nazareth we, we need somebody to be great around here because there are none because it's nazareth and then it gets weird he says and he will be called the son of the most high this is when mary has to be back to it's probably hidden for me what do you mean he's going to be called the son of the most high who I'm Mary and Mary and Joseph unless something else is about to go down that I don't know about and Joseph's a carpenter and nobody cares and I live at home and people never see me and nobody cares I don't know how he's going to get that name and then it says and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and she asks immediately in her brain be thinking that's there's no way in the world that's going to happen because the Romans are here and we're not about to start a rebellion in Nazareth that defeats them that's not going to happen so I, I don't know you, you must be talking to the wrong lady that doesn't even make sense in 33 it says he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and we know the patriarchs Jacob's name was actually changed to Israel in the Old Testament and what he's saying here is he's going to reign over the nation of Israel forever years wise that doesn't work out mathematically by the way life expectancy at this point is not that long and it says in his kingdom will have no end 
Now, at this moment, for you, maybe that doesn't all click together because we're not Jewish people who have studied and believed the Old Testament for our whole lives. But if you were a Jewish man or woman and you knew anything about the Bible at this point in time, you would know that's the prophecy of the Messiah. God has said for those 4,000 years just about that he was going to send a person that he was going to send this wonderful counselor prince of peace mighty god and he was going to send that person through a virgin and that virgin was going to have this baby and this baby was going to come in and he was going to set up this new kingdom of david and he was going to reign forever if you've ever seen if you've ever read the book of daniel it talks about how this person's going to have this everlasting kingdom the son of man is going to rule forever And she would have immediately known, hearing these words from this angel, he's saying that I'm going to have the Messiah. And she would have immediately moved to, that's impossible. There's no way. Because I'm Mary from Nazareth. And nothing happens here. Nothing important ever takes place in Nazareth. We don't even need a police department. It's really not that exciting around here. So Mary says to this angel, how can this be since I've not been intimate with a man? Basically what she's saying here is there's no way. She's basically looking back at this angel and she's like, I'm not even really 100% sure I'm not dreaming right now. But if I'm not dreaming, you have the wrong Mary because there's no way in the world that I can do that. There's no way in the world. I'm Mary from Nazareth. Nothing exciting happens here. The Messiah, it's not supposed to come from here. He's supposed to come from somewhere else. There's no way in the world that I can be the mother of the Messiah. And just to prove you uh, correct on or prove me correct on this, I've never even been with a man. There ain't no way. It's impossible. And the angel says back to her, okay, let me explain some more. Um, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel looks back and he's like, that's fine, ma'am. We deal in impossibilities. We don't need a man. The Holy Spirit is going to just show up and the power of God is going to come upon you and and you're going to be pregnant. We don't need a man for this. We have a different plan. We have a different way. This isn't just going to be a kid that's called the son of God. Like it's really going to be the son of God. This is not some title that we're attaching on here because this kid's going to come in and he's going to be this new king. This is actually going to be God's baby in the flesh. He's going to be the dad and you get to be the mom. Can you imagine that? (laughs) He's probably like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And the angel goes on and he says, actually, um, consider your relative Elizabeth, the one who's in the beginning of the chapter that we skipped all that stuff because you'd be mad at me if you were here the extra hour and a half. Um, He says, consider your relative Elizabeth, your cousin. It says, even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. The angel looks at Mary and he's like, do you remember Elizabeth? 
she was past childbearing age and she's never had a kid everybody looked at her and they called her barren like she there was no possibility she was going to have a kid everybody knew like naturally there's no way in the world elizabeth can conceive a child and they had given up they tried i'm sure they tried probably a lot i'm sure because people wanted kids in these days and she just wasn't able they probably haven't tried in years Everybody thought it was impossible for Elizabeth to have a child, yet here Elizabeth is six months into a pregnancy in her old age when she was beyond childbearing years. And if that's a possibility, I'm pretty sure this is too. And in 37, this angel says this, for nothing will be impossible with moment it's been filled by doubt filled by there's no way in the world filled with this thought of man it's impossible there's no way in the world that he, that he could have picked me there's no way in the world like somebody's got the map wrong somebody's flipped something around you've got the wrong address there's no way God would come here and pick me for this thing there's no I'm, I'm not anybody I'm a nobody there's no there's no there's nothing there's not one thing I have to offer to this there's not one thing i have to give to this there's not one thing about me that identifies me that says i should be this person it cannot happen and the angel looks back at that and he's like not one thing is impossible with god i I know who you are i knew who you were when i showed up today God didn't get the address wrong. He didn't get the map wrong. He didn't send me to the wrong Mary. Like, you're the one because nothing is impossible with God. You know why God didn't show up over there in, in, in the priesthood? Because it wasn't the plan. You know why God didn't show up in the palace? Because it wasn't the plan. The plan was to come to somebody who everybody looked at and everybody counted out and everybody said it's impossible so that God could show I deal in impossible every single day. See, the truth of it is, if it would have been possible, it wouldn't have been really a God thing, would it? There were all kinds of people trying to say they were the Messiah, trying to say they were the Savior. There's people in a couple of years that Jesus is going to pass on the way to the cross, and one of those guys is going to be a guy who claimed to be the Messiah. But God had a different plan. And this angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary comes back into this moment and she says, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left. This angel says, Mary, no, it's, it's true. I have the right Mary, like everything's possible with God. I can even take you a nobody and and do something amazing in your life. I can take you with no skills and no subset to offer, and I can do something amazing in your life because God deals in the impossible. It's going to be amazing. And Mary looks back at that, and what she does is she submits to that. I maybe still don't even believe in me if I'm Mary. (laughs) Maybe a dream. I have no idea, but if you can really do what you say you can do, man, I want to be on board for that. So she says back, man, I'm, if that's it, I'm, I'm God's slave. 
I'm the Lord's slave. Uh, sure, that sounds amazing. May it be done to me according to your order, exactly like you said. Maybe, may, may exactly what you said be done, because that sounds amazing. See, I love this story, because this whole story is impossible, right? We know enough about childbirth now, <laughs> scientifically, to know you need a male and a female to make a kid, right? There's certain things have to come together DNA wise and God said I don't need that at all we, we should know enough to maybe we've been indoctrinated to it because we've heard it so many times but we should know enough to know that man it sounds crazy to think that God who created everything would come to this place right why would God, who was above everything, who was greater than everything, who had all the power and all the glory and who could move things around with, with just words, who, who could do whatever he wanted to with, with just saying it, just speaking it, why would he step into the story and subject himself to, now I've got to be born. Now, now I've got to learn how to use my fine motor skills. That would be so frustrating. I breathe out the stars and I can't work my fingers. That would be ridiculous. To lay there until he learned to walk. I don't even know when that happens. I have no concept of that, but it's a while. To lay there and have to have someone else feed him. Have someone else change him. God the creator. It's humiliating. And it should sound ridiculous. And that same baby grow up and live a perfect life. You, you can't be perfect for the next 15 minutes and we're in church. But every day, never mess up, never make a mistake. There's 613 commandments in the law and he never broke one thing. To grow up and live a perfect life and then at the end of that life that God the creator would actually experience death. That God who never had to feel and experience pain would feel and experience pain. That God who made everything, spoke the stars into existence, would take nails in his hands and his feet. That's ridiculous. That he would allow a man that he created to take a whip and beat him with it. That sounds ridiculous. God, at the word, it, it, just, it just a whisper could have evaporated that man. But he took that. God that made people, made all creation, made, made every human being that's ever been on the planet would, would be paraded down the street while people yelled at him and mocked him and spit at him, the very people he was trying to save. That sounds ridiculous. And that the same God would suffocate, the God who breathed everything, who breathed the story into, the, uh, into existence would get to a place where he couldn't breathe. Where he would physically die, not just faint, not just fade, but physically die. And if you want to get really biblical this morning, would descend into a place that was meant for sinners like us. That Jesus himself for, for a while would actually experience the flames of hell for you. That's the wrath of God, not nails and whips. Buried in a tomb and then three days later do something also ridiculous, come up out of the grave. Nobody else. That Jesus would come out of the grave after three days, perfectly fine and functioning, with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. 
he didn't need an army to liberate the people and to set up the kingdom of David. If an angel can take out 185,000 Assyrians, Jesus himself can take on the gates of hell without one extra hand. See, the whole thing sounds impossible, doesn't it? What's even greater than that is that same Jesus this morning and in that same impossibility this morning is saying to us, you can re-enter the story of God. Isn't that crazy? See, the truth is I only know where I've been. You know where you've been. But you, if you've been around this planet for very long, can think of at least one or two reasons why God wouldn't want you. Oh, God wouldn't want me because I've been here or there's no way I can get back to God because I've done this or there's no way God would ever talk to me or want me. There's no second chance for me. There's no redemption for me. It sounds impossible, doesn't it? But the truth of it is, man, the whole story is about how with you, maybe it is. Man, I can never get back there. That's true. I can never undo that. That's true. I can never overcome that. Amen, that's true. I can never get their trust back. Maybe not. I don't know. That's probably true. I can never climb up out of this. Amen, that's probably true. But the truth of it is, you don't have to because Jesus came to do the impossible in your place. If Jesus would come to a no-name woman in a no-name town called Nazareth, why can't he meet you in a little bitty place like this? And this morning, Jesus is saying to everyone, it doesn't matter how impossible you feel like it is, man. With you, it is impossible. With God, everything is possible. And you can re-enter this morning the story of God, not because of what you've done or what you've cleaned up or because of how you've changed it, because of what Jesus did. Even greater than that this morning, or maybe on the same platform than that this morning, or kind of beyond that this morning, is some of you guys know Jesus, and you've known him for a really long time, but everything around you seems to be falling apart, and you've tried everything you can to kind of get that thing repositioned into the right spot, and you just cannot fix it. You can't fix your thoughts, or you can't fix your actions, or you can't fix your life, or you can't fix your job, or you can't fix your marriage, or you can't fix your relationship, or you can't reconcile that friendship, or whatever can't get rid of this sin I can't get rid of this shame I can't get rid of this guilt I cannot overcome this mountain in front of me and the same thing is true for you this morning some of you guys I know Jesus I I believe it's possible for me to get to heaven but I feel like every day here is going to be hell until I get there can I just say through Jesus man it's it's possible that our best days are ahead of us that's impossible. This is falling apart. You don't know what's happening. My health is gone. My, my, my marriage is, is surely gone. My, my friendships are surely gone. My life is surely gone. Well, man, maybe with you it is, but with God, man, restoration is a possibility. That's what he came to do. And that covers like all platforms. And this morning, can I, can I just say to you that maybe in your brain, there's no way in the world the best days are ahead of you, but I just want to say with Jesus, Even if it seems impossible, it's possible. Some of you guys this morning, God wants to do amazing things in and through your life, and you're like, there's no way he could use me. And maybe that's true. Maybe you don't have anything to offer, but Jesus doesn't need your stuff. Because with him, the impossible is possible. God wants me to talk to people about him, but I'm not a good 
talker. Maybe with you it's impossible. Maybe with him it's very possible. God wants me to talk to my neighbor or my friend or my family member and, and, and tell them about Jesus. And I believe that like if they heard about Jesus, they would come to know Jesus, but I'm surely not the person. And maybe God's looking back and he's like, no, it is definitely you. If I can use Mary from Nazareth, I can use you. This morning, the truth of it is, God's inviting us all into his story. Maybe some of you guys for the first time, God's saying, hey, you can come in and you can experience salvation. You can have hope in life for the very first time. You can be back on the page of God. That would be amazing. And maybe for some of you on the other side of things, God's saying, you can be in my story and I will write you a beautiful little sub-character. I will use you in amazing and specific ways that fit your abilities and your talents and you don't even know about it yet. And maybe God's saying that to you. And maybe some of you guys, you just feel like you're in God's story and God's story's not working out that great for you. And I'm just saying God's a, a, a restorer. You know what Daniel had to do before the story got really awesome? Get in a hole with a bunch of lions. You know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to do before the story got really awesome? They had to get in a furnace full of fire. The story never gets amazing until we've been through that refining process and some of you guys feel like your days are over and you're just in the process. I'm never getting out. It's impossible. No, it's not with God. 